The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2018 New Year's Conference. More information about the New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. Indy. Y'all doing all right? Hey, it's great to be here. Um, let, me, uh, let me clarify a few things. Thank you, Will, for the great introduction. Uh, first of all, my man Isaiah is number one in the world. Uh, and second of all, that's right. Uh, duh. Oh, my kids tell me that's cringy, but I dab anyways. Um, second, um, it's, it's the Pokemon trading card game. It's kind of like chess with cards. And I say that because somebody once thought that like my man was number one in the world at like Pokemon Go and they pictured me like driving him around all day long. They're like, how do you do this with a job? I'm like, no, it's, uh, it's an amazing game. But, uh, but I am glad to be here. We were in Raleigh, so the East Coast Conference, uh, all the East Coast campuses are happening now. And I got here a few minutes and I realized, uh, I think Raleigh was just the appetizer and this is the main course. So don't let me down, don't let me down. Um, I, I am fortunate, I'm not here alone. So if you pulled a picture up of uh, my amazing wife, Julia, we've been, mar- we've been married 17 years and she's truly my best friend, the love of my life. And fortunately, some of you will get to hear from her. We're doing a relationships seminar tomorrow and I'm gonna, hold off for time's sake from introducing you to my kids. And some of y'all might be like, how many does he have? Um, we don't have that many, we have five, but uh, I do wanna talk about them a little bit. And there's more that I wanna talk about than that tonight. So I wanna start and give you a little glimpse of who I was, my spiritual background, when I entered as a freshman at college at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And the reason why I wanna start with my background is because my story is gonna lead us right to what I wanna talk to you about tonight. And I went in the archives and I found an old goody picture. So this is actually my first week of college. And I'm on the far right, um, Natty B, uh, Natty B. So this is me, it looks like I got the world's tallest beer. I'm double fisting Nat Ice, um, oh, how horrible. But um, uh, you can't see because of the hat, but all my hair, uh, I had hair I could put up in a ponytail, uh, a nasty soccer player. And I had saved every single facial hair I'd ever grown for that baby face goatee. But um, this picture, it really represents what I was all about when I entered college. If you would have asked me, what are you about? I would have said, number one, I'm about soccer. So I went to UNC Charlotte on a college soccer scholarship and, and I wanted to play and I wanted to have success. These are my teammates here. Number two, I was about social life. I wanted to party, I wanted to have a good time and I did a lot of it. And number three, I was about just doing enough school to keep the first two rolling and I really mean that, uh, enough to keep the soccer and the social life going. What wasn't on my, in my top three, my top 10, was my interest in my spiritual life. If you would have asked me, I just would have said, no, nah, I'm not really interested. Yet, one week later from this picture, three things happened. Number one, I went to an on-campus Christian meeting. Number two, I actually brought somebody with me which instantly made me like one of the most popular people in the room because I recruited somebody there, and number, or I brought somebody there. Number three, I had multiple spiritual interactions in my dorm room. So you go from this guy, soccer, social, 
school enough to keep the first two rolling to going to a Christian meeting, bringing somebody with them, having multiple conversations. You can assume that maybe Maddie B got to college and realized it's time to get mature and, you know, care about more things in life. And that sounds good, but that's not the real story. So what's the real story? Well, here is the real story. It was a Thursday night, the first Thursday night that school started. We had been there for preseason. And at our campus, Thursday night was party night. And I was at an off-campus party. And I decided it was time to go get a refill at the beverage station. So I walked over to refill my Coca-Cola. And a uh, little side note, uh, every one of my dad's crazy college stories, he would tell my brother and I involved refilling Coca-Colas. And so literally we were scared to drink more than one Coca-Cola. Uh, we found out later Coca-Cola was beer. So I was going back to refill my Coca-Cola and I looked up at the beverage station and there was a girl that was on the women's soccer team and I met her during preseason and we had had multiple conversations and I guess I was feeling good. Maybe the hair was flowing, the, the need for the refill was kicking in, I don't know, but I decided to ask her out. And so I got to the, uh, to the beverage station, as I tell my kids, and, uh, and I said, what's up, Lindsay? She said, hey, Maddie. And I said, uh, would you like to go out next Tuesday night? And she looked at me, she said, I'm sorry, I have plans. I said, well, where are you going? She said, I'm going to this on-campus Christian meeting. And I said, well, girl, don't you know that's where I was gonna take you? <laughs> no joke, you're gonna learn, you, hopefully you're gonna learn a lot from me and this is not one of them, but there's a point. And, and her eyes got big and she said, really? And this is the literal quote, I said, yes, God is a big part of my life. And so, <laughs> I had a date, I know that's so bad, that's so bad, but, but so I had a date at an on-campus Christian meeting. And y'all, here's what happened. I was there for 15 minutes and the language didn't connect with me, the music didn't connect with me, the inside jokes didn't connect with me. And so I looked at Lindsay and she was kind of checked out a little. I said, uh, I said, you feeling this? She said, nah, I said, let's go. So 15 minutes in, we left the meeting, and I remember walking out of that building thinking, I guess Christianity just isn't for me. It wasn't a day or two later that I met a guy who was walking around my dorm, and I didn't know this guy actually worked on staff with a college ministry called Campus Outreach. He seemed just like an ordinary dude. He had just graduated college from Georgia, and I met this guy, and he was, he was boldly normal. He had this ability to take any conversation about sports and partying and whatnot and just lead us to spiritual dialogue. And we just, it literally was like a ninja, you know, just use my words against me. And I'm like, what? How did we get here? But one day he looked at me, he said, Maddie, he said, what is it that you want out of college? I said, I want, I want to experience as much athletic success, as much social, you know, success and friends. I want, to, I want to do well in school. He said, it sounds like you want life to the full. I said, you got it, boy. And then he looked at me and he said, what does Jesus have to do with that? And we had a real relationship and I said, nothing, nothing at all. He said, Maddie, would it be okay if I shared one verse from the Bible that I think you might find interesting? And I said, Joe, I'll just be honest. I have a feeling if I say no, you will still figure out how to share the verse. He said, yeah, I'm gonna share the verse with you. And so we're in my dorm room and he said, John 10, 10. And he said this, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they might have life 
and have it more abundantly or to the full. And he looked at me, he said, Maddie, what you said you're here for, Jesus actually claims to give it. He said, Maddie, I believe that life, true life, lasting life is only found in a relationship with God. And then he said something that I'd never heard any Christian say before. He said, and God is not in heaven fearful that you're going to find life somewhere apart from him. He's just waiting for you to discover it can only be found in him. He said, so Maddie, you run. You go after everything you want to go after. He said, I'll be here waiting to tell you about life in Christ. And then he looked at me, he said, and what if it's true? Would it be worth 30 minutes of your, a week to just investigate the Bible? If after a few months you say, it's just a bunch of bull, I don't believe in it, at least you can lay down at night saying you've investigated. And for some reason I said, I'm in, I'm in, let's do this, 30 minutes a week, you got me, man. And so we started a Bible study and you know what happened within the next couple months? Three things happened. Number one, I realized I wasn't a Christian. I would have said I was a Christian because I knew I wasn't anything else. I loved Christmas and I'd been to FCA before, literally. I, I, and there was no content and I began to realize, hold on a second, this actually being a Christian actually means something. I realized I wasn't a Christian. Number two, I realized that there was so much about Jesus I thought I knew that wasn't true. You know, sometimes people will inspire you. They'll say, you might be the only Bible that someone would ever read. You ever hear that? They're trying to inspire you. Well, what they don't tell you is people don't need to read a Bible to have an opinion on the Bible. So don't think that just because they ain't read it doesn't mean they don't have an opinion on it. I had an opinion on Jesus, an opinion on the Bible, and none of them were rooted in what it actually says. So I realized so much was wrong. And then thirdly, honestly, my life just began to make sense. The world began to make sense. Years later, I read this quote by C.S. Lewis that really captured this third thing. And it says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That began to happen to me. And a few months went by and on November 23rd, 1995, I was home in Tallahassee, Florida. Our season had ended and I got down on my knees and for the first time ever, I acknowledged my sin to the Lord. And I acknowledged that I had two big problems, that not only had I done bad, but I had failed to do that, which is 100% perfectly good. And so I needed somebody to not only forgive me of my bad, but somebody who had the ability to give for me the 100% perfect good that I don't have in order to stand in his presence. And I knew it was Jesus. And so I repented and I trusted in Jesus. And then I did one more thing, and this is the point of this story. I pulled out a sheet of paper because the guy that had been sharing Christ, he told me about this. I pulled out a sheet of paper, and I, signed, I wrote the date, November 23rd, 1995. I wrote, my life to the Lord. I still had this, this piece of paper. I let the entire notebook page go blank, and I signed the bottom of it. And what I was saying to God in that moment was from this point forward, you have full authority in my life. You fill in the details. And I remember thinking, what would God want for me that I wouldn't want for myself? Wow, I was in for a shocker, right? Um, it took me like, you know, a few seconds. Uh, but, but what would you have? But, but they represent it. You have full authority. You have full authority. It's, it's a blank contract right here. In the past 20 years, the past 20 years have just been a process where God will bring area after area, my dreams, my hopes, 
my fears, my career, my family, my everything, my wants, my desires. And he will bring them one at a time, it seems like, and say, Maddie, you say I have full authority. Now's an opportunity for you to demonstrate it. And it has been painful. Uh, it, it hasn't always been easy, but God has been gracious to do so. And this is the question for you. Tonight, I just want to try to lead you to a place where you can be honest about the extent of God's authority in your life. I just want you to be honest. Not what you should say, what you wish you could say, what you want to say, but if your life could speak, what's God's authority really like? Are you a blank sheet of paper before the Lord? No concessions. You know what a concession is? So when Will and the guys were negotiating for this event center, they go to the event center and they say, we'll rent it for this rate if you give us this and this and this. And they, on the other side of the table, say, no, 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 no. We'll give you this and this, but we want from you this and this. And they go back and forth on the concessions and then they eventually say, we got a deal. Is that your life? Or are you able to say, Lord, here it is. You have full authority. Your authority is rightful. It's delightful. No concessions. If you're not there, maybe God's authority in your life is more like the Queen of England. So uh, let's get a picture of the Queen. She's so pretty. All right, there we go. Uh, bam, thank you, guys. Uh, I don't know how they did that that quickly. Uh, the Queen of England, you know, she is a constitutional monarch. I don't know, and this isn't gonna be a big history lesson. I think I probably got a C in history, uh, so, so I'll make it short. But you know what this means? This means that the Queen of England has limited political power. She cannot form a government, and she cannot afford, indulge in foreign political affairs directly. So what does she do? At the opening of Parliament, she reads a speech she had no hand in preparing. You know what else she does? She signs on a government that she had no part in planning. And she is authorized, listen to this, to co-sign all parliamentary briefs and bills after they've been ratified by the House of Parliament. In other words, the Queen, decisions are made, they're signed by both houses of the Parliament, and she is invited to give her royal assent. That's what it's called. She's invited to give her royal assent on the decisions and plans that have already been made. And the question is, what if she doesn't give a royal assent? We don't know because that hasn't happened since 1708. The Queen of England simply as wonderful a tradition and I'm sure she does serve some great roles but the reality is she's a tradition. She's a yes woman who just says yes to their plans. Is this God's authority in your life where you want God as your king as long as he'll bless your plans? and bless your decisions. You're not, one commentator said, they say, why do we still have a queen? They say, because we're not ready to relinquish this timeless held tradition. Is God that way for you? At the end of the day, if your life would speak, your life says you're your own authority, but you say, I'm not ready to relinquish the uh, having the statement that God is in authority. Or I'll give you a third one. So we've got a blank sheet of paper, we've got a Queen of England, or we've got uh, the state flag from where I live. Uh, so, or shall we say the Commonwealth. This is the, uh, the, 
the flag of Virginia. And here's what you have. You have a woman who is standing over a man and you see off of the side of his head is a what? A crown. And then you see the Latin phrase six semper tyrannis. And this is thus always two tyrants. And you know what? The flag is communicating. We will have no king. And if you try to make us have one, we will stick our women on you. That's a joke. Um, Okay, I could say that. I married a Virginia woman. Uh, They're legit. But this is what it's saying. We will have no king. Is that your disposition to God's authority? Um, What would your life say? Blank sheet of paper. You fill it in, God. Or... Uh, no, nah, me and God, we're more like a constitutional monarch. Um, I mean, I, I give him a chance to bless what I decide. Uh, and he's never said no. Or are you just flat out, we will have no king? Um, where are you at tonight? Well, this is what I want to do. Uh, we're going to go to a passage in uh, the ninth chapter of Luke. You heard it. And what I want you to see there is that Jesus claims full authority in your life. And Jesus claims authority over your past, your present, and your future. And I want to show you it in the text. And then this is how I want to end. I'm going to end by appealing with you, Indy, C-O-N-D, C-O, y'all say N-Y-C, C-O-N-Y-C. I'm going to beg with you to submit to not only his rightful authority, but his delightful authority. Submitting to the authority of God is for your good. So uh, let's get in. So our passage is Luke 9, 57 through 62. And before we dive in, let me tell you, there's three encounters in this passage. It's three different people Jesus encounters. And I want to say two things at the setup. So here's the first thing. Number one, the passage is all about following Jesus. It's all about saying yes to him wherever he is and wherever he would go. So let me say that again. This passage is about saying yes to following God. And the reason why that's important is because for most of us, when you think about God's authority in your life, you immediately start thinking that somehow that's centered on him telling you what not to do. His authority, no drinking, no smoking, no sex, no, no money, no greed. That that's what his authority is about. And if you think that his authority is about just calling you to not do things, then you don't understand biblical authority. The authority of Jesus rests on his ability to call you to follow him wherever and whenever he might go. That's what authority is about. I had a college roommate, never drank, never smoked, never fooled around with girls. Sounds like a a really good potential summer project leader, right? Did I fail to mention he was a self-proclaimed atheist? Some of us spend all of our time wrestling with God over all these things we believe he wants us not to do. And at the end of the day, it's worthless if if your nose are not rooted in saying yes to Christ and following Christ. So let me give you a little phrase that uh, that I've been chewing on recently, and here it is. Yesless nose are worthless. 
Yesless no's are worthless. If you're trying to stop getting drunk and you don't understand why that no is connected to a yes in Jesus, it's worthless. And actually, you can write Colossians 2.23. Paul says, you say, do not, do not, do not. These things are powerless in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In the very next verse, he says, seek Christ. In other words, he's saying, it doesn't matter what you say no to if you don't have a yes in Jesus. And I'm just here to say, when I talk about his rightful and delightful authority, don't confuse me with saying my goal is that you leave here saying no to things. No, 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 no. You say no to things in order to say yes to Jesus. That's what this passage is about. Number two, um, this passage, you're going to see... Jesus gives specific applications to people that are not meant to be universal applications for everybody. Let me explain. You're about to see Jesus say, you shouldn't have a home or you're not gonna have a home. You shouldn't stay for a father's funeral and you shouldn't say goodbye to your friends. Those are all great things, but they weren't for these men. You know why? Because these things prevented them from following Jesus. So the point of the passage is to actually get into the encounter and to think this. If Jesus were pressing into my present, my future, and my past, what would he say to me? For these, I'm going to show you for these three why it's their present, future, and past. But, but don't, don't make a false application that these things are bad. No, they're bad because they prevented them from following Christ. And I don't know what it is for you. But Jesus wants to go after it tonight. He wants to go after it tonight. All right, I think we're ready. His authority is about saying yes to him. And secondly, he goes after whatever it is that's preventing you from following him. So let's get into the passage. Uh, Number one, uh, the first one, if you were to summarize it, it's that Jesus claims authority over how we live in the present. And here it is, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So here's a man who approaches Jesus. He's eager, he's excited, he's ready to go, right? I'm in Jesus. I picture many of you on Tuesday morning after the final rally. I'll follow, and here's a scene. I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. 15 minutes later, you get in the car to start your eight hour ride and you realize your cell phone's at 2% and your charger, you left it with a friend and you say, why do you hate me, God? You know, I mean, think about it. It's like, we're in Jesus. I'm your man for life. In the moment a circumstance comes our way that's unpleasant, we're out. This is what Jesus was saying to this guy. He's saying, I know that you're telling me right now that you're in. I know that you're saying that you want to follow me. But he's essentially saying, you're not going to last one night. You're not going to last the end of this day and you'll be done. Because when I go home, which is not a home, you're going to say, oh, nah, man, we ain't doing that. Like you're out. Um, it reminds me of my little man. So our youngest is Benson. Uh, Got to show you my little strong man. And uh, Benson likes to come to me and uh, let's see if we can get him up. Uh, okay, well, either way, there we go. Let's go, little man. Um, 
So Benson comes up to me and he's, he, he begs me. He says, Daddy, Daddy, can I go on a run with you? Can I go on a run with you? I say, Benson, no. And he's like, please, Daddy. I'm like, okay, how about we do this? How about you and Daddy run up to the mailbox? And the reason why I know is our driveway, it's not even a big driveway, but it's got a little incline. And I know by the time we get to the mailbox, my man's like, oh, I'm good, Daddy. I'm good. You know, that was great, Daddy. Uh, thank you. And, he, and he's back in, right? Jesus is saying to this man, he's saying, you're not even going to make it out the driveway. You're not even going to make it out the driveway. And why? Why would this man, you can go back to the passage. Um, he says this, he says, because I don't live like you. Jesus knew that the one obstacle that was preventing this man who had all this passion and all this motion was that Jesus knew that how Jesus lived in the present, that this man was not willing to submit to. He was not willing to submit his present day living and his circumstances to the authority of Jesus. And so here's the question. First question for you tonight. What present day comfort or luxury have you turned into a right that you're entitled to? What present day comfort or luxury is too much to, for you to give up if Jesus asked you to? If there is one, he's gonna go after it if you say you wanna follow him. The guy who led me to Christ, it wasn't two weeks into me uh, following the Lord and he looked at me and he said, Maddie, I wonder how long it'll be before I could ask you to do something for the Lord and you would say, no. Nah. I was like, dang, what you asking me to do, Holmes? You know, like, um, and, and he said, no, I just wonder. He said, I wonder how long it would be before the Lord would call you to do something. You would say, no, nah, sorry, um, that's, that's too much. Um, what would it be for you? What would Jesus say to you? Foxes have Netflix. Birds have iPhones. They have rooms to themselves on the dorms. They have a starting position on the team. They have a leadership position in the sorority or fraternity. What, what would it be that you say, oh, no, 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 we, we don't live like that. We don't do that, Jesus. What's going on? I don't know what it was for you, but for this guy, it was the safety and security and the comfort of a home. Now, don't miss the point. The point is not, some people read that and say, oh, see, you're not supposed to have a home. It's not the point. Uh, I've had small homes. I currently live in what I think is a big home. And do you know do you know how long it takes God to, whether you're in a small home or a big home, to see who has authority over that home? You think God could only see who has authority over small homes? Nah, actually, I think he can do it even quicker with a big home. We, we just, a couple years ago, we bought what we call a homestead. Uh, we, we bought a house and land and a barn and a pool. And before I moved in, my youth director, my church, approached me, he's like, Maddie B, can we host the uh, summer youth party? at your house. We hadn't even moved in. Literally, I just instantly picked 40 undeveloped frontal lobes running through my house and pool. I was like, oh my gosh, we hadn't even moved in. And I looked at my wife and she said, this is God's house. And so we said, yes. We said, yes. Um, I mean, is it the point a home though? The point's not a home. It doesn't matter. Jesus said, I'm just going after whatever you think has authority in your present day life. What would it be over you? Look at this verse. This, this is hilarious. Mark 3, 20 through 21. Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they, they went to take charge of Jesus. 
They said he's out of his mind. Uh, like, really? They say to Jesus, did you know he's touching lepers? Cool. He's interacting with demons. Wow. He's preaching to Pharisees. Oh, he skipped lunch. Oh, no, 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 no. We getting him now. Like, you taking this God thing too far. Jesus, please eat something. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can hear your mom, like, just a cracker. Please, something. Jesus, like, just, like, like just wet your lips. Like, please. Um, think about this. There are many tastes that do what you want with the Christianity thing. Just don't get crazy, right? Don't start, like, skipping meals, right? What present-day comfort's too much for you to give up if Jesus asked you to? If your goal is to follow him and live exactly like you want to, you will not get out of the driveway. So let's go to the second encounter. The second encounter, uh, you could summarize it. Jesus claims authority over how we move toward the future. And I believe that God has something for many of you through this. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, without a little cultural context, this sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Sounds really harsh not to attend your dad's funeral. Well, a little cultural context that's important is to know that this man's father had not yet died. In their culture, Burial was immediate. Listen to one historian. According to Jewish custom, burial took place immediately after death. They didn't embalm. They just wrapped bodies and immediately put them in the grave. And what this man is saying is, I will follow you, Jesus. But first, let me go wait until my dad dies. And there's a second bit of cultural information. What would be the benefit, and this is where I think God wants to press in tonight and, and pry open some hands. What would be the benefit of a son waiting for his dad to die? The inheritance. The inheritance. You know what this man was saying? This man was saying, Jesus, I mean, I got you, right? I got you. Um, just not now, because this is what I'm going to do. Here's my plan. I'm going to go home, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to get financially secure, and I'm going to secure my future, and when I get that secure, I'm your man. Put me in, coach. But I'm sorry, I can't play the first half of the game. This is what he's saying. And Jesus knows that ultimately, this is an excuse. This is a smokescreen. And so Jesus goes after it. It makes sense to go secure your financial future, to, to go secure if you live according to the world. But Jesus knows I don't have full authority over the way this guy's moving into the future. This guy doesn't trust that I would lead him in such a way that would provide for him and would care for his family and would honor them. This man pursues the path to gold, not God. He passes up on what is certain following Jesus to wait for what is uncertain when his dad's gonna die. And I wonder how many in here, at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, you've got a plan to financial security and financial stability. And when you get there, you will be all for Jesus. And at the end of the day, that's a lie. And Jesus knows it and he wants to put his hand on it. And he's not saying, therefore go and live on ketchup and ice cubes the rest of your, your life. He's just saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? 
He's inviting this young man to trust Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all things will be added. Jesus says God first. And what does this man say? Look at this. Let me first. Me first. Every single one of us have destinations in mind that we want to get to. And that we feel like we would need to get to. And those aren't bad, but here's what happens. When your desires from God become demands on God, you're in dangerous waters. When your desires from God, which are good desires, become demands on God, when you say, no, 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 God, I'm going to get that thing out there, conflict with your creator comes when he says, oh, really? Because I'm going to get this right here. And when you're set on getting that out there and he's set on getting this right here, uh, that's a battle you're not going to win. Even when he promises you the thing out there. We don't have time, but look at Abraham. God said, you're going to have a child. He said, great. And then God literally acted in such a way that would seem God could care less about getting him there, which he promised he would be there. And your dreams and desires, you don't have a promise from God that you will get that uh, degree, you'll get that job, you'll get that family. But Abraham did. And God still acted in such a way in putting him in a pace and a place that seemed to be like, you don't care about out there and you've promised it to me. And God said, yes, because I'm gonna get this in here. And when when, when Abraham realized Oh, I'm actually, I said we weren't going to go through it. I'm doing it. When Abraham realized that God's got this, that God said, now let's go, son. Let's go, son. What is it for you? What is on your I will God, but let me first list? What is the thing that if following Jesus meant it wasn't in your future, you would honestly have second thoughts? And y'all, this scares me. It scares me because it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. What is on your I will, but let me first list. Whatever it is, he wants you to lay it down tonight and willingly submit under his rightful and delightful authority. Real quickly, the final encounter could be summarized like this. Jesus claims authority over how we relate to our past. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So once again, this guy's desire doesn't sound bad. He just wants to go home and say goodbye to his family and friends, right? You read the Apostle Paul would gather the elders and the followers and they would have a big kumbaya, you know, and they would pray and say goodbye as he would go on a missionary journey. Like, what's up, Jesus? Do you not like goodbyes, right? What's going on? No, there's obviously something more going on here. And this is what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that this man would never follow him and he would never keep following him if he didn't first sever something from his past. Jesus knew that that was a smokescreen and there was something from going back that would keep you from following me. And so Jesus said, don't go back. We all have relationships with people and with sins that have defined us in our past. And God says, if you've trusted in him, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And at the end of the day, there will come a point where you need to stop visiting home. Metaphorically, please don't tweet that. Speaker said, stop visiting home. 
some mamas be knocking on my door tonight, metaphorically. Listen to what Peter says. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Hebrews 11.16 says, if they had looked back to the country they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. Think about that. Looking back, thinking back, going back opens the door for the opportunity to return. Where do you know you need to hear the words, don't go back? What relationship in your past with a person or with sin, you know Jesus would say, don't go back. You're a new man. You're a new woman. Don't go back. It's keeping you from living under my authority. What past sin, what past relationship do you need to stop making occasional visits back home and start following Jesus? Tonight, Jesus is doing an authority check. He wants to know, does he have authority over how you live in the present? Does he have authority over how you move toward the future? Does he have authority over how you relate to your past? Before I end with uh, my beg to you to submit to his rightful and delightful authority, um, I'm going to press into one thing because I saw saw the testimony of the girl on a summer project. And... um, This isn't in my notes. <clears throat> I, uh, when I became a Christian, um, the guy who led me to Christ and who God used to change my life, um, he asked me to go on my first summer project. Get it together, Maddie B. That's what my daughter said. She looked at me while I cried when I talked to my daughter. She said, put those tears back in there, Daddy. Uh, I feel the power of Eliana right now. Get them tears back in there. He looked at me, invited me on my first summer project, and, and I did this. I, I, he said, just, just apply, Manny. I said, that sounds good. It sounds good. And, uh, and, and he asked me a week later, he's like, did you apply? And, and this was the first year campus outreach was in North Carolina. And I don't know, I pictured like this big head, corporate headquarters or something. They didn't have any corporate headquarters. It was like literally like a kitchen table. And I was like, uh, he was like, your application ain't coming yet. And I was like, oh, I must have got lost in the, in the corporate center, you know. <laughs> Check on the mailroom, folks, you know. Um, uh, you'll, you'll, it'll, it'll turn up. I, I just lied to him. <clears throat> he kept asking me. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's good application, good application. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't go. The next summer or the next uh, December, I went to my first New Year's conference. And it was at that conference that I was first freed to literally give him all authority. And I knew for me, I knew that when I heard about the project, and and here's the thing, his authority does not mean everybody goes on the project. Don't think I'm saying that. Many of you will. 
His authority means this. If you hear of the opportunity to go on the project and you immediately say, I won't even consider it because of something about the present circumstance. I ain't living with any other dudes, especially when I was leaving in a bed with them. Or you say, no, no, I, my pl- it doesn't work on my plans for the future. Or you say, no, nah, my girlfriend's waiting for me at home, which is what I did. If you hear of the opportunity and you won't even consider it because of your present, your future, or your past, you're not submitted to his authority and for the first time I was free I was freed at that conference and I met with Joe and I looked at him I said I believe God wants me to follow him fully and I'm asking you to hold me accountable to that because I know I'm gonna get back on campus and I'm gonna push back and you know what that's when when my relationship with God just took off he literally it was like it was another area and I just beg of you don't say no because of the past present or future to considering it for many of you Just filling out an application is a step of faith. Okay, back to my notes. Uh, His rightful and delightful authority. Here's here's where I want to end. Many of you feel like uh, when God plays the authority card that his goal is to lay his heavy hand on you until you finally relent and you put up the white flag and say, okay, God, I'll follow you. And that's so... Uh, sad to view Jesus' authority like that. Jesus isn't trying to wrestle you to the ground and do like my big brother used to do to me and put my arm behind till I said, okay, 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 you can have my dessert. Jesus is inviting you to submit to his rightful and delightful authority. How does that work? How do you see his authority as good? Well, that happens when you realize that he uses his authority for your good. And every time that you come up to an area of your life, and I'm ending with this, and you know that this is about God's authority and submitting to his authority, I think you ought to remember, and I, I would say you need to memorize it, you ought to memorize John 10, 17, and 18. And I'm going to put it for you. Every time, I think you ought to go back to this verse because this verse is all about Jesus playing the authority card. And I don't know if many of you know this. Jesus says this, the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life. I went to the cross only to take it up again. And watch this, because there's a lot of bad theology circulating. Jesus says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own authority. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Here's the bad theology. You'll hear people say, your sin put Jesus on the cross. And my sin put Jesus on the cross. The Bible never talks like that. Nobody puts Jesus anywhere. Your sin demanded that you get on the cross. And my sin demanded that I get on the cross. It was the authority of Jesus that put himself on there on our behalf. When you hear Jesus say, all authority has been given to me, you should say, I love your authority. I love your authority because it was by your authority that you went to the cross on my behalf. So friends, when he presses in on the present and when he presses in on the way you think about the future and when he presses in on the way you relate to the past, submit to his rightful and delightful authority. He uses it for your good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for your word. 
Thank you, God, for uh, the privilege of having you probe into our hearts tonight. And Lord, I pray that there would be men and women in this room that would join me in presenting before you a blank sheet of paper. It's not going to be easy, and we know that, but we ask you, Lord Jesus, you have full authority. You have authority over the way we live in the present. Would you purify that? You have authority the way we move toward the future, and you have authority in the way we relate to the past. And Father, would you give us a sense of joy and excitement that no no matter what may be ahead, we'll be with you, the one who uses your authority for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Excited about where this second half of conference is going to go. Uh, we're going to move into a time of one thought now. And so you can pull out your notebooks, uh, write out your one thought, take some time, pray, meditate on uh, the talk you just heard. And then groups around you, discuss for a couple minutes. Uh, yeah, what God has put on your mind. So you can go ahead and do that now. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach.